Uh, and just a little uh, disclaimer right away. The, the, the sermon's a little intense. Um, the series is intense, but uh, it's needed. The series that we're doing is, is called Spiritual Warfare. And some of you maybe are familiar with that term. Others of you may not. Um, but it is something that we have to talk about in the church because Paul talks about it in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Toward the end of the letter, really at the end of the letter, he, he says, look, here's something you need to know. Here's something you've got to remember. Uh, as if, you know, he put it at the end just to make sure that they, di- they don't forget. He's like, you need to understand something about your current reality. And you need to understand how to respond and live within that current reality. That current reality um, that he's writing about was, was true for the church in Ephesus and is true for us today. And that is that we find ourselves in a war. We are in a battle. We are in a war uh, against an enemy. And it is being fought in this unseen spiritual realm. Listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That verse right there is the verse that I want to key in on this morning. And if there's one thing that you remember walking out of this room uh, today from this sermon, it is this, that you are in a war. You are in a battle. Paul tells us, look, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers, authorities, powers of a dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is an unseen realm where there are powers and authorities, enemies of Christ and the followers of Christ who are actively scheming against us, who are waging war upon us. And as Christians, we have to understand that that is our current reality. We live in that reality. And we have to not only understand that we are in a war, that we are in a battle, but we have to know and learn how do we fight. He goes on to say this, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after, you're, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your fit feeted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of God's people. Paul wants his listeners to understand that they find themselves in a battle and in a war that we can't always see. It's happening in this heavenly realm in which our eyes can't always see. However, we see the effects of the war that is being waged in this heavenly realm all around us. All the brokenness, 
the wars that we do see happening in the world, the brokenness that we are experiencing in our own lives. Like, I think if we're all honest, we, we recognize that, that uh, no matter how hard we try to make life like the way we want, we experience some form of opposition. That all the brokenness and evil and things and destruction that we see in our lives, we're experiencing in our lives, or we see in the world, are being authored, are being strategically moved in this unseen spiritual realm. You know, and when I, when I talk about spiritual warfare, and maybe this is like the first time you're, you're, you've heard that term, spiritual warfare. Um, and that's like, if, the purpose of this series is for us to learn what is spiritual warfare, what is the reality of what, upon which we find ourselves in, and that is a war, a battle, a spiritual battle, and then how do we fight? How do we learn to fight? Because God has given us tools and resources to not only fight this battle, but be victorious in this battle. And these are things that Christians have to understand. But what I find is when I talk to Christians about it, you know, a lot of times people end up in one or two camps. And the first is really where I think a lot of people fall, and that is like, I had no idea this existed. I, I don't understand like what Paul is saying here. Wait, what does this mean? Or there's, there's others who are they're sort of skeptical about it. Like, come on, we're modern people, modern day thinkers. Like, haven't we moved beyond these fables and story, you know, these, these fairy tale stories? Like, this, this doesn't exist. The devil doesn't exist. Like, he, there's no unseen spiritual battle going on. There's evil in the world. Yes, I can see it. But that's just humans. And yet Paul says, look, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. It's against the evil forces that are at work influencing humans. So you have some folks that are just sort of ignorant to the whole thing. And then others are just, it's, it's scary. Like, I don't know that I really want to peek around the corner behind this curtain into this reality because I don't know if I want to see what's behind it. Like, that's, that's scary to me. And here's the truth. The enemy, Satan, is perfectly fine with you being in any one of those camps. Either completely unaware of this reality, skeptical of it, or afraid of it. Because if we don't believe that it's true, if we're skeptical about it, if we don't even, if, if, if ignorantly we don't know that it's there or we're afraid of it and we don't interact with it, uh, he's, he's perfectly fine with that because he can just go about his business doing what he does. But there's, a, there's, there's another camp, and Satan's perfectly happy with Christians being in this camp too. And that is folks, and I don't mean these kinds of people very often, but they're folks that sort of blame the devil on, like, for everything. Like anything wrong, any mishap, any wrongdoing, Anything out of order, it must just be the devil's fault. I found this, uh, this meme. Satan said, put linoleum over the wood floors. That must have been spiritual warfare at work, you know. Some contractor way back in the day is like, you know what would look way better? The enemy's just in his ear like, you should put linoleum over those beautiful f floors. And then others are like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Now all of us are like, what? How could anyone believe that? But there are people that probably think like, that's how the enemy works, and he's to blame uh, for 
for everything. Now, the enemy's perfectly fine with you uh, in that position too because you won't ever own up for your life. You won't ever own up for the decisions that you make. You'll just play the role of victim throughout your entire life. Alistair Begg um, said, All, every sin is an inside job. Meaning you can't blame the devil for your sin. Now, he'll do everything he can to strategically work against you to get you to sin. But at the end of the day, you and I, it is an inside job. We choose whether or not to sin. But part of the Christian life is beginning to understand the battle that we're in and how do we discern the enemy's work? How do we discern if, if this is spiritual interference, spiritual opposition, or maybe just, you know, life or whatever it might be? I mean, last night, my wife and I, we got in a tiff over a caramel roll. And, you know, I was like, I mean, it turned into like a legit, here's a story. Have any of you had Dobo's caramel rolls in Loretto? They are rare. It's like a rare gem now because since COVID, they're not really open. We got our hands on some last night, okay? This is like gold. And my, uh, my wife says to my mom, who had him, like, uh, you know, we, we take a cup. We take, Aaron, do you want one? And yeah, I'll take one and we'll take two. So then last night after the kids go to bed, I went and looked for that caramel roll and I started to eat it. My wife goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm eating the caramel roll. She goes, well, half of that's for me. I said, you asked my mom if, if, I, if I want, you said, do you want one? I go, I assume that's for me. And I mean, a caramel, it, to- it turned into like a legit fight. And I'm, so I'm thinking and I'm going, this has got to be spiritual warfare. Like, we're starting a series on spiritual warfare tomorrow and like we're fighting over a caramel roll. And then I began to think, I go, maybe you just don't take caramel rolls away from pregnant women. Like, maybe that's just life and a rule of life. Um, but I, I, I do remember a season in our marriage where we would literally, like, literally get in a quarrel every Sunday morning. And I would drive to church preparing to, you know, serve and preach, having left, like, a, 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 a fight with my wife. And over time, I recognized, we both recognized, like, this is spiritual warfare. There, 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 this isn't a coincidence that we're, we're getting into little tiffs, like, every single Sunday morning as we're preparing to go love and serve the church. And that's what, as believers, we've got to begin to sort of um, train our spiritual eyes to see those sorts of coincidences that are going up against us. To see like when, when things are pushing against you and they don't make sense, could be spiritual warfare. Uh, anything that is outside of the truth of what, what God says is definitely spiritual warfare. Um, when you're working to grow your relationship with God and it's hard and it's tough and you find yourself struggling, struggling, struggling with sin, when you're working to push the kingdom of God forward and do good in the world and bring God's kingdom to earth and you feel, you sense opposition and things are happening and weird things are happening, you can assume that it is spiritual warfare and it's in these moments that we must fight back. But we need to learn how to see the battle and how to fight because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
It is against the rulers and principalities and authorities of the evil one who is actively at work in the heavenly realms. And my fear is that the church just isn't talking about it. That we're not preparing the church for the fight that they are actively in. That we're not preparing the next generation to be aware of the reality of the world that they live in. And we're not training them up to be able to fight. For many years, we've been blessed in this country in particular that it has been relatively easy compared to other countries in the world to be a Christian. And yet, as I look at the current landscape and as we look ahead, I think we're starting to see that that is changing. That we should not be surprised that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. The Bible tells us that. That it may not be in my generation, but certainly, likely in my children's generation, that it will become increasingly more difficult to be a Christian. I think we're already seeing it. And are we prepared to live within that reality? Are, is, are we strong enough? Is our, stre- is, is our spiritual fervor, our spiritual strength, our spiritual courage there that when the time comes, we will stand up and say, and not be afraid to say, I'm a Christian and to do what's right, regardless of the cost. But there's a lot of us who just sort of, we don't even realize the spiritual battle that we're in. And if we don't know that we're in a war and we don't know our enemy and we don't know the way in which the enemy schemes and how he works and how he strategizes, strategizes then we're going to be a casualty in this war. This war. I, you know, I, I, don't, I got into World War II history a number of years ago. I don't really remember how, um, but it, it, it's something I don't know. I'm just into. I've watched a lot of different documentaries, read books, and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was excited because last week, uh, the third sort of rendition of this series, so there was Band of Brothers, um, The Pacific, and now they just came out last week with Masters of the Air, which Band of Brothers looked at parachuters that dropped in on D-Day into Europe. The Pacific was, of course, about um, the, the war in the Pacific Islands. And then Masters of the Air is about the Air Force and the, telling the story of these guys, these crews that would go on B-28 bombers and they would go and over enemy territory and drop bombs. It was incredibly dangerous uh, 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 position to be in. Like, you were kind of sitting ducks in a lot of ways. Like, a lot of guys did not, you know, survive uh, this type of, of fighting. And, um, and in the first episode, um, you know, these, these young kind of just over into Europe guys go into a meeting. And this, these, these were meetings that they would go into before every mission. And they would sit and their commander would get up and he would share with them. Here's your enemy. Here, uh, here's what to expect from the enemy. In fact, they, they go, okay, here's, here's our current reality. If we're ever going to do a land invasion in Europe, we've got to get resources and supplies from America over to Europe. The problem is all of our, our ships are being sunk by German U-boats. There ain't no way we're, we're going to launch a land invasion if we don't, if we don't stop these U-boats from sinking our ships. So here's, here's our plan. 
And then they would, they would kind of open this curtain and they would see a map and they would see their flight plan on the map and they would go, right here, Nazi-occupied France, on the coast there, you have U-boat fueling stations. If we're going to stop these U-boats, we need to drop bombs on these fueling stations to sort of disrupt what their ability to fuel these U-boats and sink our ships. So here's where you're going. Here's your target. We're going to drop bombs here. But here's also what you can expect from the enemy. Then they had all these spots on the map where their intelligence had shown them, this is where you're going to experience flak. Flak, if you've ever watched these, seen these movies, you'll see them flying and there's all these kind of dark cloud bombs going around. That was, they called that flak and it would be bombs that, they, that the enemy would shoot up and they would blow up at high altitudes and they would send all sort of shrapnel and stuff. I mean, really dangerous and it's just all around you. They go, you can expect flak here, 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 and here. So here's what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it. I mean, think about this. How do you think we won World War II? How do you think we won any war that we've ever fought and won? One, we knew we were in a war. We knew what we were fighting for. We knew our enemy. We did everything we could to understand our enemy and the strategy of the enemy. And then we stepped up and we fought back with courage, with strength, with sacrifice. And my fear is the American church doesn't even recognize that they're in a war. They don't know who their enemy is. They don't know the schemes of the enemy. And they're just, we're flying completely blind. Completely vulnerable. Not using what God has given us to fight back. This series is hopefully a way for us as a, as a church to learn where we can look and we can see. We are in a war. We are in a fight. Here's our enemy. Here's how he works Here's what we can expect and here's how we fight back so that we can be victorious. I mean, if you don't see your, the, the current reality that you find yourself, that you are in a war, then you're, you and I were in trouble. And if we're not fighting with the tools that God's given us, then it's just a matter of time before we become a casualty. Now, who is our enemy? Let's start to answer some of the questions. Who is our enemy? Paul says it's these, the, rule, like the ruler of the kingdom of, of the air, which he talks about earlier in Ephesians. There's this unseen spiritual realm where you have these evil forces at play. All of them, demons, principalities, authorities, are under the authority of Satan. He is our primary enemy, along with all of the multitudes of demons that he has at his disposal. You know, and for a thousand years, as long as the, the church has existed, the church has never shied away from the reality that we really have three enemies of the soul. They've, we've talked about it for a thousand years. And that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, in Paul's letter, he says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. That is one of the enemies of our soul. That the world, since, the, since sin entered the world, since the book of Genesis, the world has been led astray. And there's a deep brokenness that has come with our sin. And when Jesus comes, he talks about the, the kingdom of God. And we often talk about it as the upside down kingdom because it's so drastically different than the world that we're used to. We should be prepared that we live in a world that is not Christian. 
It's not. And if we keep telling ourselves that we live in a world that is Christian or we live in a country that is Christian, we gotta be real careful. Because the world is, 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 is broken the enemy is the ruler of the prince of the, of the air and is at work scheming, using the world and all the messaging of the world. You know, this is, this, is, this is what it looks like to be successful. This is what a good life is. This is how you should do this. This is what you should believe. All this sort of scatterbrained stuff that we easily buy into that like sadly we learn hard lessons that man, I went after that and it just, it did not fulfill me in the way that I wanted He goes on to say, uh, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. There it is, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of the great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You know, the flesh is the reality that like, we, we have a, 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 a sinful nature that we are at war with. And Christ defeated sin on the cross. And when we become followers of Christ, we are freed from condemnation, but we are still at war against the flesh. The flesh is just the stuff that it just pulls us in. Lust, pride, ego, idolatry, greed. Just those things that we, we, we sort of almost know are wrong, but they just have like some power and control over us. And we gotta make decisions whether we're gonna say yes to the flesh or yes to God. And Paul's really honest about this throughout his writings. Like he struggled. He's like, I, I fight. Like the things I don't wanna do, I seem to be doing. And the things I want to do, I'm not. Like, this is a battle. This is a grind. And for, you know, a thousand years, the church has talked about the, the three enemies of the soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And yet, all three have pretty much dropped out of the conversation in the modern Western church. And that's a problem. We are at war against an enemy, the devil. And what are we fighting? His schemes. How does he, how does he wage war against us? Uh, primarily lies, deception, accusations, and speculation. Look, Satan is a pure liar. There is no truth. He will never tell you anything truthful. He will never try to get you to believe anything that is of truth. All he does is lie. All he does is deceive. So he uses lies to ultimately shape the way we think and shape the way we behave. And then he's also the accuser. He's constantly trying to get us to believe lies that aren't true about us. And then he's constantly simultaneously accusing us of believing those lies. So, you know, I, just to give you an example of how he'll work, 
you know, throughout my time just as a Christian, as a, as, a, as, a, as a Christian man. And as a pastor, I've had a lot of conversations with guys about their struggles. And pr- primarily, you know, like uh, with lust and, and, and pornography. And, and I mean, it is a war against not only men, but women too. And sadly, you know, you want to look at the world. The world is pretty much silent about its negative effects. And it's in a lot of ways culturally acceptable. And yet there is science, there are studies that it will actually physically change the makeup of your brain. It is an endemic, it is a pandemic, whatever word you want to use, and it is problematic in its deepest forms. So anyways, you know, I talk to guys and it's like, you know, the seeds get planted early in your head. And you get tempted and you start to, you start to think things like, does, who does it really hurt? I'm just on a computer. No, nobody even knows. Nobody can see it. And like, what effect does it really have? I mean, I, look at what that guy's doing to his family. It's evident what he's doing. Look at what, you know, go read the headlines and you see what all these evil people are doing doing all sorts of crazy sins. I mean, this isn't really hurting anybody. Or, you know, you start to go, you know, but I kind of deserve this. Like, I, am a, I have been created as a sexual being. Why should I not, you know, be liberated to, to live out who I really am? These are the lies. These, this is the sort of deceptive thinking that the enemy starts to use against us. And then what if we start to agree with those lies... Yeah, I deserve this. This isn't bad. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's okay. Everyone else, every other guy struggles with this. You know, all those things. It leads us into action and sin. And then guess what happens? As soon as you sin, enemy turns on you and, and starts accusing you. How could you do that? I mean, you're a Christian. You must, maybe you're not a Christian. Christian men, men of integrity, men of God, they don't do that. They don't struggle with that. They don't think like that. They don't do that. I doubt you're a Christian. And that's just one way in which he uses lies and accusations. And he's using it all across the board in our lives. In all sorts of different scenarios. Also, I would say, you know, speculation and I've been experiencing this in my own life recently, where the enemy just wants us to speculate on things and, and go and, and sort of create uh, alternate realities that may, may, may or may not be true. Like, and, and, you know, when I was coming back or on the, on the kind of path toward potentially coming back to the church, I got hit with all sorts of like, thoughts about maybe this is wrong. I, maybe people are against me. Maybe this, pers- this person is against me. And they're probably conspiring this way and that way. And boy, they're evil that they would do that. I mean, this is, it's just one little thought and then all of a sudden, it just starts to, to roll. And all of a sudden, you're against people. And when we speculate in this fashion against one another, that's what happens. All of a sudden, you're against someone who may or may not have ever done that. I found out, in fact, a number of people that I was convinced were sort of against me. I found out that it wasn't true at all. Quite the opposite. And yet I had lost sleep. I I stopped eating. I was stressed. 
Who knows? Maybe I lost a few days of my life. I have no idea, you know? Like, but all of that was for nothing because it was pure speculation. And here's the thing. When we spend time in anxiousness and fear and speculation, um, it, it robs us of the time and resources that God has given us to do good for the sake of his kingdom. You don't know how much time I just sort of wasted thinking about a, 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 a lie and a reality that wasn't true when I could have been doing this, that, or, or something else. It's distraction. And that is the way in which the enemy schemes against us. Now, where is he going to go after us? Where are his attacks? Um, he's primarily interested in ruining all uh, relationships that you have. Your relationship with God is at the heart of what he wants to see happen. When you look at um, right away in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, the serpent who was crafty, um, what did he go after? I mean, ultimately, he wanted to destroy. Here's God, who has beautiful, perfect union with mankind. And his, he, wants to, he wants to destroy that union, which he does. But how does he do it? He attacks a marriage right away. He goes after Adam and Eve and their marriage. And then he goes after a family. He goes after brothers and he disrupts um, a, a relationship in, in a family. He gets one brother to kill the other. Cain kills Abel. And then he disrupts work. Something God had created that was supposed to be good. Now it's like because of sin, there's going to be toil and thorns, you know, and your work is going to become, you know, difficult. And so we know because right away the enemy is going to go after relationships. Here's, here's a working assumption you should have in your life. If you're married, um, assume that the enemy is actively at work trying to destroy your marriage. Because he is. He wants nothing more than um, to see your marriage fail. He wants nothing more than to see uh, you divorced. He wants to see uh, nothing more than your family to become completely broken through your broken marriage. Assume that he is after relationships that you have with your family. Assume that he is after your children, the relationships that you have with your children, with your, your uh, immediate family, with your extended family, with your church body. He's actively at work trying to pit us against each other. He's actively at work trying to pit you against uh, your wife, your friends, uh, your neighbor. Because if he can... If he can um, if he can disrupt relationships, um, he can disrupt not only our lives, but the church and the kingdom uh, of God. So you need to be on guard relationally. You need to be on guard at, uh, at the thoughts that, that we need to be on guard at the thoughts we have of one another and how we treat one another. Now, when is he, when is he attacking? I, he is looking for the opportune time. He's clever enough and strategic enough that he's going to wait till we're at our weakest. When Jesus um, was tempted in the desert, the enemy waited uh, for 40 days after Jesus had not eaten or drank anything. 
must have been completely exhausted. And you'll find when you're, when you're, um, when you're hungry, when, you're, um, when you haven't had a lot of sleep, when you're stressed, when you're sick, like you are vulnerable. When you're bored, we are vulnerable. And I'm going to talk more about that next week as we get into kind of the practical application of some of this. But um, it says that um, in Luke 4, the devil left Jesus and waited for an opportune time. He's also described as a, as, a, as, a, as a lion who's kind of in the shadows, like waiting to pounce. He's a predator. When Cain is full of rage and anger against his brother Abel, God says to him, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It is right there. And you have this moment to decide in your anger, how are you going to respond? Do not let it take hold of you. And sadly, what happens? He kills his brother. It overcame him. The enemy is waiting for an opportune time. And so it's not about responding when we're attacked. It's about being ready constantly. I mean, when, when, when Paul says here, you know, put on the full armor of God, I mean, when does a soldier put on his armor? Before the battle. So that he is prepared. I mean, imagine, like, imagine you're, you, know, you have a soldier who's storming the beaches of Normandy and he runs out of the boat and he's naked and he, he's like, uh-oh, I forgot to get dressed. I forgot to put on my belt. I forgot to you know, put on my armor. I forgot to uh, get my ammo. I forgot my gun. Hold on a second while I go back and get dressed. There's no fairness. You, you know, like, the enemy isn't gonna be fair and go, okay, yeah, well, hold on a second. No, <laughs> we need to be prepared. We need to be equipped. We need to be dressed for battle so that when the opportune time comes for the enemy, we are prepared. That's why you see all this language of like, be alert, be on guard, stand your ground, be prepared, be equipped. And that's what my prayer is for our church uh, in this series, that we would help you be prepared, be equipped, be trained, recognize what God has given us to fight this battle. It is not something we have to be afraid of. Because here is the good news. You and I, we operate from a position of victory. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He is bleeding out. The, the war has been won, but we fight. The battle remains. But the enemy is bleeding out. He is wounded. He's been defeated. He cannot, for those of us who are in Christ, he cannot have victory over our life. If we stand our ground and fight the fight that is in front of us. And so we are going to learn how to fight. And I hope you'll come back over the, the next uh, few weeks to practically learn how to fight. But you've got to first see that you are in a war. You are in a battle. Your marriage there is in a war. Your relationship with your kids, it, it, it is a, like the enemy wants to destroy it. 
The relationship that we have is a church with one another. The enemy wants to destroy. He's actively at work trying to create wedges and divisions amongst us. Why do you think Jesus, what did he pray for all believers at the end of his life? Of all the things he could have prayed for, of all the things before he was going to die, what did he pray for all believers for all of eternity? That we would be one. Does that not tell us something? That if we are divided, we are weak. And that is what the enemy knows, and that's what he's after. If you're divided between your spouse, you're weak. If there's division between you and your children, you're weak. If there's division between you and your friends, you're weak. If there's division amongst us in the church, we are weak. Jesus prayed, be one, fight for unity. Fight for what is right. You are, we are on the side of victory. But if we're ignorant to it, if we're walking around pretending it's not there, if we're scared of it, if we're, if we're unwilling to you know, peek into the reality of what we live, we, he has us. So, as the band comes up, um, one of the things we get to do when we gather on a Sunday is we fight. Did you know that? I mean, think about this. Why do we sing when we gather? I don't do that with other people very often. What is happening? Like, why is the church for millennia gathered and sung? Why is the church for millennia gathered and read the word of God? Because these are two powerful tools to fighting. That when you sing, you're not only bringing glory to God, you are proclaiming truth to the devil. So I want us to be loud so that the, the God of the universe hears uh, praise that he deserves, but I want us to be loud too so that the enemy hears what is true of us. That he does not have us. That we are on the side of victory. That Christ is fighting for us. Think about this. He loves you so much, he gave up everything, his life, to save you and me. And he is actively at work, continuing to fight battles in an unseen realm that we don't even know. Jesus is fighting battles for you right now that you don't even know are going on. And the ones you do know, he is fighting for you. You have got to believe it and claim that. So as we sing, I invite you to just sing out the truth so that God is glorified, but the enemy hears it. Because he can't be where Jesus is. And Jesus is in us. And when we proclaim it, he's got to flee. So let's stand together. You know, and I don't, I don't know what sort of battles you're fighting in your life, but Jesus does. And he, you need to know that he's for you. And that he's fighting those battles alongside you. That he loves you. And to demonstrate that, he gave up his life to prove that love to us. So just receive that. Claim that truth. And scream, yell out, sing the truth that we are on the side of victory because of Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are for us. 
And if you're for us, who can be against us? And I don't, it, you know, whatever brokenness we've experienced in life, whatever current brokenness we're experiencing, no matter how far away we may be from you, no matter how broken our marriage may be, there is hope because of you, Jesus. You are a God of resurrection. You can bring back to life the things that are dead. The enemy cannot keep the enemy cannot, cannot keep the things that maybe have been broken in our lives or, or dead amongst us from rising again. Jesus. So we just claim the truth, Jesus, that we are strong and victorious in you. And we lay down whatever we need to lay down and let you fight for us. So just hear that, Satan. You don't have any of these people. If they've turned to you, they belong to Christ. So just leave us alone.